The views, information or opinions expressed during the Journey podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and does not represent Wise Words Imaging or any other company. Wise Words Imaging is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy. Any of the information contained in the podcast series is available from the respective owner. Enjoy the show. Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. Well, some say he's on a journey. It's the journey. Joining me on the journey today, I've got some notes so I can read from it. Um, we got George Siegel. He began his career in front of the camera as a newscaster, sportscaster and webcaster. You need to know Ultra Q then. Um, he worked in markets from Los Angeles to San Francisco, Seattle, Detroit and San Antonio, Texas. In addition to working in front of the camera, George was a feature reporter and producer. In 2001, he formed JEL Productions, a video production company that produces commercials, infomercials, television programs and documentary films. The company also created their own original programming, which included the Texas travel program and a building and remodeling show. And George is most proud of his most latest venture, which we're going to talk about today, forming a documentary film company, Move the World Films Incorporated. He wrote, directed and produced award-winning documentary films, The Last House Standing, which he's got a cup advertising, and Licensed to Parent. And he lives with his wife, Nancy, and their children in Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the journey. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I listened to all that stuff and I go, wow, I've actually had some jobs in my lifetime. Um, That's quite impressive resume. <laughs> you know, that a resume, it, it, they, can, uh, they can tell a story. And mine tells the story of a guy who uh, had a broadcasting career and is now trying to make a living behind the camera of telling stories. Mm. So that's a good start. You was in front of a camera for X amount of years. I don't know, because I haven't seen you on television, so I don't know. But from my experience, I've been not behind the mic for, you know, radio broadcast for 10 years and Alpine production. So when you first went into television, how was it for you? You know, it was, it was fun. It was a real adrenaline rush because you had the urgency of having to get something done on a deadline. You know, in, in TV news, it's all deadlines and, and, and churning stuff out. Back when I started, we didn't have all the digital technology. So we had old fashioned tape that we had to edit on when we were doing stories. But it was a great experience. It was a great experience getting to do so many things in the business and, and learning about it. Um, and you know, there was no social media in those days. So you kind of had to build your own brand very slowly. You couldn't do something crazy and have it go viral and all of a sudden be a, you know, get your 15 minutes of fame. You had to really try to earn your fame. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't miss being in front of the camera so much now. I mean, as you get older, you know, who wants to look at me, but, um, you know, it's, uh, for promoting the film, I, I'd have to do it, but I, I enjoy being behind the scenes now. Yeah, so that's a, always a 
interesting question because I, like I said, I've been in media for X amount of years and, you know, even now I am out from production-wise in some assistance over in England where I come from. But I remember once, and this will make you laugh, I remember once I was at a train station and they had to make a news article. They got me walking up and down the train station in different disguises just to make it look like the train station was busy. And, and things can be doctored by the, you know, the news business has changed a lot since I was in the business. When, when I started out and through most of the time I was in it, nobody cared about our opinions. That's not what the story was. And now news seems to be the person's opinion or the network's yeah. opinion. And so it's really changed. It's gotten away from what I thought it was, you know, objective journalism, where it doesn't matter what I think, I'm just telling you a story and I want you to think for yourself. And, and uh, sadly, I think we've really gotten away from that. Yeah, I agree totally. You know, I understand, you know, certain, I'm not saying big names because it's not for me or you to say. And whatever we say here is our opinion, not of our company. But, you know, deadlines, yes, I understand. That's still the same. But you know, when you get told to say, say it like this and say it like that, it's like, it's not your own style anymore. And it doesn't feel personal. It doesn't feel like you're listening to someone, you know, down the street. It feels like they've been drilled. You've got to say it like that. Yeah, and, and a lot of reporters, news people, they want to, they want their gotcha moment where, you know, it's all to get clicks and eyeballs and and it just I just don't enjoy the industry as much now. So I'm I'm I miss the money, mm. but I'm not sorry that I don't do that anymore because I wouldn't want somebody telling me what I had to say. I would rather say what I what I want to say. Yeah, I get that. I get it. Totally. So what mm. made you get into the business in the beginning anyway? Going way, way, way back. Well, when I was a little kid, my dad introduced me to Walter Cronkite, who I think is one of the greatest newsmen um, ever. I loved that. It was such a thrill meeting him. And my dad was in the broadcasting industry, and I kind of just got, had that in my blood where I wanted to do that. Um, I, I didn't think I was, I wasn't a good enough student to go to law school or medical school. I probably would have loved to have tried to be been an attorney, but I was good at talking and writing stories and being creative. And so I just found my, myself in TV news. And it just lucked out the day that I went into audition, the weather guy had quit. So they needed a weather person at the station. And I said to the news director, oh yeah, I know a lot about weather. And I, I didn't know anything about weather, but I, I stood there, I did an audition tape. I actually screwed up when I was doing the, the tape um, and I mispronounced one of the towns and the cameraman started laughing at me while I was doing the audition. <laughs> And now most people would have stopped and asked to go again. And I just leaned over and I said, why don't you just tell me how it's pronounced? And he gave me the proper name and I said the proper name and just kept going. And the news director looked at that and goes, hey, this guy isn't flustered by all the baloney going on around him. He just, he'll just get the job done. And so that's, that's how I got the job. Hmm. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yes. Or lack, um, of, or lack of history. <laughs> I remember reading the Rebel once for the radio station. I still volunteer for, and like I said, I do, you know, some production from from here to England. And I remember once when this was before it went to the mainstream radio that you listen to in the house or in the car. 
and it was online and they asked me to read the rep, news and record that day and I got the news pretty spot on which was fine it lasted five minutes which should have been three minutes but that was fine came to the rapper I didn't say the right term for the rapper I put intimate showers instead of intermittent showers uh -huh. and I didn't realise that time and it played out all day, intimate showers. And I was thinking, showers are a bit personal, don't they? Yes, you can have fun with that. But, you know, that's, that's probably what I miss most about that business is the challenge of, of when you're doing something live and you, and you have to get it right. So if there was some kind of uh, weather disaster or big news story and you had to cover that, there's a real adrenaline rush at the moment to, to doing that and trying to make sure that you, you do your job. And, um, you know, you don't get that in filmmaking. I mean, you, you have moments, but it's not the same live has to happen now. And even more so now, if you make a mistake now, within minutes, you could be blasted on every bit of social media in yeah. the country. God forbid you say a bad word or you say a derogatory phrase or everything in, in this climate that we're in. You really have to be on your game and not do something that could just completely uh, blow up your career in a matter of seconds. Totally. I get that. So going into present day, so you um, you've, I'm talking about the last outstanding that you've got the mug and produce um, been shown me since I've been looking at it. Yes, it there now. it is, everyone. Yeah. And I'll put the paid product production promotion on there when we get the YouTube up. Yes, available on thelasthousestanding.org. There you go. That's our website. But it, you got to say The Last House Standing because there was actually a, a film, I believe, called Last House Standing that was made years ago. And, you know, I wouldn't want people to get them confused. I haven't seen that film, but you have to put the word the in front of ours. Yes, for last. Yes, sir. Okay, so um, it's a runtime of 77 minutes, which is quite good. It's not too long. It's not too short. It's that sort of middle road where people will get yuck and not get. And I'm not saying this against your film, but, you know, you get mm. some films that do make a point and then it drags out and you think, what's the point? But yep. I feel 77 minutes, in my personal opinion, is a good level film where you can get the gist and get the beginning start you know um obviously it's a move the world films jel production production as it says here um can you explain the cover before we actually get into the brief absolutely you know that is a house in mexico beach um when hurricane michael hit in uh 2018 Mexico Beach was a quiet little beach community in the panhandle of Florida, and a, a Category 5 hurricane just leveled the entire area. And there was one house standing on the beach. And that's, uh, metaphorically, that's the one we used as the, the theme of the film, The Last House Standing. And, you know, I want people to keep in mind, it doesn't mean you have to build a very expensive house on stilts on the beach to be the last house standing. There's a lot of things everybody can do but if we just showed a little shack and it was the last house standing, everybody aspires to having something more. And, and that's what we were going for with the title. But the principles of how to be the last house standing can apply to any home. Um, it just happens to be that one was such a graphic image of the house that was there. And we were able to get a hold of uh, the owner of the house and interview him. He was gracious enough to talk to us. 
And it was, um, it was really, it was tragic to see what happened in that community and so sad to see what those people will be experiencing for, for years to come. Um, and it was a central point in the film to, to tell our story. So now going into the plot without giving too many spoilers away, what was the story about? I assume it's to do with the storm. It has to do with talking to victims who lost everything in storms or had severe damage in storms, talking about the various kind of storms that happen all over the country in the United States. And this really can be applied beyond that to anywhere in the world because everybody has extreme weather events or acts of nature like hurricanes, um, natural disasters uh, or uh, earthquakes. And the idea was to show those stories and then say, okay, now how do we avoid that happening? What do we have to do to now not become a victim ourselves if that same kind of tragic situation happens? And in most cases, there's something most people can do to improve their chances of surviving or their home surviving. And if there isn't, you can sure as heck make sure you have good insurance on what you have and have a plan to keep your family safe. You can't always save every house. If a Category 5 hurricane hits, if an EF5 tornado bullseyes over your house, there aren't many structures that could survive that. And that's where you wanted to have a storm cellar, a safe evacuation plan, and proper insurance on the valuables in your house so at least your life isn't completely derailed and you have a base to rebuild from. Yeah, and I assume, and I'm saying this, and whoever would watch this or listen to this would understand, hurricanes, it's just not a simple gust of wind. It's not a simple, like, <clears throat> it's a bigger, it's like a big explosion where it just rips up from the bottom and takes everything with it. It's a sustained wind. You know, a tornado is, is an event that happens. It blows through. It leaves its damage behind, and it's gone in a matter of minutes or less. A hurricane, as we've seen in some of these hurricanes the last few years, they can park right off the coast and continually pound your community and your house and, your, and, and, and everything around you. So it's a it could be a long-term event. It doesn't just blow through. The, you're, you're thankful if a storm just races right through because at least things can be somewhat contained to the, the fast moving path of the storm. When it sits there and batters you for hours and hours, and then it turns into days like happened with Hurricane Harvey. It happened to um, the hurricane a few years ago that was off the coast of Florida. The name is escaping me, but the, the fact is these things are happening more often and we're getting caught. We're getting, people are paying the price for it. And it, it's a significant price that can be life altering. Yeah, I I remember a certain storm back in England in 1986. And I'm not begrudging this weather presenter in any way. He said, it's going to be a nice, peaceful night. Nothing's going to go wrong. This was obviously before computers and everything was major thing forever. That night, a major storm hit the southeast coast of England, and it was the biggest storm yet. People died, houses were damaged, and they were quick to moan that the weather forecaster didn't warn him. And he had to come on camera on the news. I remember seeing on YouTube clips as well, even now, you know, I still remember his words. And he said, I only read the weather 
I don't see it. I don't have, you know, and he says mm -hmm. that in modern day, I think he said it in recent years, he said, I didn't have computers back then. How are we supposed to know? Computers nowadays, thankfully, does pick up certain things in advance, but you still can't foresee how strong a storm or hurricane or whatever is going to be into it. It's well, even today, with all the computers that we have, weather is not an exact science. And we see that on a daily basis. The forecast just where I live over the weekend was no rain for the next 10 days. It's rained twice since then and is going to rain again uh, tonight and tomorrow. And with hurricanes, they give you a path. Hurricane Michael is a great example. It was approaching the panhandle of Florida as a category two hurricane. And you think, well, as it gets closer to land, it'll start to weaken. It's strengthened and overnight turned into a category five. The experts weren't saying that, and this isn't to knock them. That's a very difficult job. The, mm. the, the thing people need to understand is it is not an exact science. So if they tell you a storm is coming your way, and then you live 100 miles to either side, but you're in that cone of uncertainty, you need to be prepared because there's still a chance they could be wrong. I, we've had two hurricanes that have supposed to were, were supposed to have hit us as a bullseye that turned at the last second. Nobody predicted it would turn at the last second. The station makes the weather guy come on and say he did. And I look at my wife and I go, do they think we're stupid? They didn't forecast that. I mean, but, but if you say it enough, it's true. Hey, Bob, you nailed that one. You got it right. And Bob's going, eh, not really. I completely screwed it up. And so yeah. it's not an exact science. I think they do a great job. And there's very comforting to have a weather guy that you like or, or woman that you like. And you watch them and, they, and it's comforting to know that you think they're in control. But when it's all said and done, there's still a margin of error and they're not right all the time. And that's why you always have to be prepared. And like I said, I will confirm this. This is just our feelings. We're not representing any company in this. So we can actually say this and respectfully respect rebel forecasters for what they do. I have a lot of respect for those guys. That's, that's a tough job. And, and they're under fire where people can live and die based on what they're telling them. So there's certainly a lot of pressure. And I think they are, they're right more often than they're wrong. But if anybody tells you with 100% certainty, this is what's going to happen when, when they give you a weather forecast, I, I would have a hard time with that. Yeah. So how long did the film take to produce? And how, what was your research behind getting it? It was a culmination of years of work. I think we were in production for over a year. And, and one of the things that takes the most time with a project like that is scheduling and getting the experts that appeared in the film. It took me almost a year to get Hank Ovink, who's one of our experts in the film. He's a water ambassador from the Netherlands, who uh, my uh, videographer, Michael, saw him on 60 Minutes and said, you got to check this guy out. So I flipped on 60 Minutes and then started trying to reach out to contact him to interview him for our film. And it took a long time. We got Brock Long, the former FEMA director, to be in the film. That took six or eight months to get because there's so much political baloney you have to go through to get in the door to interview somebody. And we eventually got in. They were surprised. that They normally won't talk to filmmakers because everybody's trying to, to nail them, you know, with the gotcha moment of, hey, FEMA, how'd you mess this up? I think in a lot of instances, they do a tremendous job. And we approached them saying, hey, look, we want to interview you, not for anything you might have done in the past, but let's talk about the future. How can we be more proactive in stopping the damage? 
to lessen the impact it has on you guys and get people to be more aware of taking uh, proactive very seriously. And they like that and, and let us in to do the interview. And um, it was a real big part of the film and we really appreciate it. And so getting all the experts, then finding victims. It's very difficult to call somebody up and say, hey, Joe, I know you just lost everything. Want to talk about it in a movie? You know, it's you're dealing with some, somebody's dealing with the, the grief of their loss. Sometimes it makes them feel better to talk about it. And, and to, but I'm respectful of people's privacy. If somebody says, no, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, I understand that. Because yeah. I can't tell you if my house got blown down tomorrow, if I'd want to stand out there and do an interview about it. Um, so, you know, you're invading people's personal space and I never liked that in the news business. I like it. I, I don't really like it now. When I first had my first job in broadcasting, the videographer and I were out to dinner and the news director calls and says, Hey, there's been, a um, somebody knocked on a door on whatever street and shot the man. His wife was there watching the man ran out chasing the intruder and he died a couple blocks down the road. The news director wanted me to go get a reaction from the wife who didn't know her husband was dead. And I just, I risked my job. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm the weather guy, first of all, yeah. not really in my uh, pay grade, but I said, I'm not going to be the one that breaks the news to her. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, it's, it's uh, a lot of times you see films that really get in people's face. It's harder for me to do that because I respect your, right to not want to talk to me and th that makes it challenging at times but you know at least i can sleep and, at night and the one good thing you give them the option not like some people and i'm not saying i've done it but you know i've gone on street you know asking for people for fox pop you know just getting general population opinion you can't always foresee who's going to say yes i'll give you opinion or no because and you can't force it in their face to say, I want your opinion, because then you're in faith in their space more so. Well, when you're in the news business, you know, the news business can take a large person walking down the street and shoot video of them and do a story that night about how there's a weight problem in the country. And that person can't sue them because they're under a different protection. If you're a documentary filmmaker, I have to get your permission to use you um, or you could sue me. You know, there's certain things that's called fair use where you can use uh, clips from movies or, or other things, but you can't really, you're not really supposed to get in people's face if they haven't given you permission, if they haven't signed a release saying that it's okay to do that. And I'm not trying to put myself up on any pedestal because there's probably a lot of things people hate about me that, that know me. But if somebody says no, or somebody says, I don't want to talk to you, I, I respect that boundary because that's how I would be if somebody got in my space and, and, and asked me. And that's just where I draw the line. So obviously you want controversy, you want drama. Gotcha moments are great in film. And there's certainly a lot of great documentaries that have those, but that wasn't really the tone of our film. This particular film was more about having you do what you can to be as safe as possible. And the, the whole point is if you don't cover your own ass, nobody's going to. If you don't look out for yourself, don't wait for somebody else to help you because that help may never come. Yeah, and it, I would assume, because I haven't actually seen the film, I assume it's a safety awareness as well as pointing people in the right direction what to do. I know most people should know, but it's like a feature film to say, this is what you should do, you should do this, you should do that, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, it's not, it's not um, the entertainment value, it's more educational value. 
And I think the educational value is huge because I would say most people could benefit from seeing the film. Now, I'm not telling you you have to go out and watch it or you have to go out and rent it, although I'd love it if you would. Um, but it can actually do something that makes a difference. If you watch The Plight of the Penguins or the, uh, the Dodo Bird Migration in Malaysia or whatever, those are great films and they give you a, a story that makes you maybe cry and maybe you want to donate money. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's really going to have zero impact in your life. This film could have an impact in your life. And so it's different, you know? And so normally you, you try to define your audience. I think our audience is very broad. It's, it's a huge amount of people. I, I would say if you live in a house or an apartment and there's weather where you are, you should watch this film. Yeah. And where can you watch this film? It's on our website, The Last House Standing. Got to put the the in there, thelasthousestanding.org. And when you land on the website, there's a film tab up at the top and you click that and you can rent the film for $3.99. And when you do that, you can watch it for up to 30 days. The film is available for you to watch. We're going to set up um, a, an option on there to buy the film outright if you're an educational institution or a library or a, a college uh, that's offering courses. And we're going to let them buy and license the film to have so they can use it for educational purposes. And, it, you know, I want to get it in front of as many people as possible. Obviously, as a filmmaker, we have to pay for our films. We have to, it, it's, it's not just a, a hobby, it's a, it's a living. But it, it, if you can do something and also do some good at the same time, that's more important to us. We, you know, we've made it available to a lot of people to see at no cost. You know, if a group said, I had one group that said, look, we don't have a budget, but I want to show it to our team. So I, I sent them a pass to watch it because... I thought that it was more important that they see it than maybe I make the 20 bucks that I would have gotten off of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you find your boundaries of what you can do in, in, in the United States. It's, it's on public television stations. It's rolling out slowly around the country. Um, so people will be able to see it for free on public television. I can't tell you when it would be on in your market, but the best way to see it right now is, is on our website, thelasthousestanding.org. Okay. Um, I assume you was filming some of this last year as well. Was that difficult? We were done before COVID. Thank that's goodness, right. because that's really messed things up. And we would not have been able to get a lot of the stuff that we've gotten. Um, and so for, from a film standpoint, we were fortunate to be done from before then. And the, I, the thing about our film too, is disasters are always bad. So there's, ours isn't dated by you go, oh, there'll never be another hurricane. Well, there won't be another earthquake. We know that's not the case. There'll always be something else. Um, COVID has been a very challenging time. If anybody that has a TV shows that they watch, you know, those are completely changed. The schedule of your shows, movies, where you can see them. I don't think our documentary would have been playing in many movie theaters. So from that standpoint, if it's available online and people are still shut in, it's a great, it's a great time to watch it. Yeah, it's like me and my wife watch some, you know, it's a, not real life, but we watch procedural pro programs like 911, and we can see our 911 or even like 911 Lone Star have adapted to things like COVID because obviously they shown the face coverings and they are actually showing that. I don't know if they actually ran it for the sake of just highlighting COVID, but it looks like they ran it for the sake of, you know, but. It's just damaging and 
for filmmakers, TV makers, you know, program makers, it's a headache for this COVID to happen, but it's a natural disaster as well because it's been a pandemic. Yeah. And so, it's, it's... Talk, so we talk about weather, but we talk about health issues as well. And pandemics don't happen just every day either. But when something big like this scenario, and it trickles down to disasters because if you have to evacuate or you lose your home and now you have to go into a shelter where there's a lot of other people, I mean, that's probably a horrible experience at a normal time. Now you have to worry about the virus when you're there. So it just takes a bad situation and makes it even worse. For a small production company, it's, it's hard to do production. Some of the bigger companies, at least they can have a team of people that should monitor it and make sure everybody's doing what they can to stay safe. It's harder to do that when you have a smaller, uh, smaller group of people. And I'm one of those people that just in the entertainment shows, I don't like it when they include the COVID story in it because I actually want to watch TV to escape the real world. I know I have to put a mask on to go to the supermarket. I don't want to see my favorite actor put a mask on in the show. It, it's just it just smacks you with real life again. And 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 then you know I still watch them, but. You know, you'd like a break from it. You know, it's nice to just be able to watch and escape. And But there's a lot of people that would argue with me and say, nope, it's real life, it's real world, it's going on. And, and that's what it needs time, to be. But at the time where you listen to documentaries on radio, on TV, that, or even just seen TV shows, it is like you said, the turn to say, okay, I don't want to think about what's happening outside now. And I'm like that myself. And just, you know, I can't get around the concept of why they were in that still. And, I understand they have to, but it's just the element of why do we have to be constantly reminded? But I don't think they have to. I think when they say cut and that scene's over, the guy probably takes or woman takes their mask off and talks to everybody. I mean, I don't think I feel like I'm the the only one I know that takes it completely seriously and doesn't want to get near anybody. But um, I think they're doing it for other reasons of, of the to capture the moment. I don't know that the actor's wearing that mask because he doesn't want to infect anybody around him. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's more of the storyline. There's other reasons. Who knows? I still watch anyway and, and admire how they get the work done under such a stressing time. And uh, we were fortunate that we didn't have to deal with that. That is good. So what is your long-term aim after this film? It says what I read in your notes, your um done a film licensed parent what was that about well i'd made this film four or five years ago and the idea behind the film was parenting i believe is probably the most important job anybody can have yet anybody can do it if you can if you're capable of reproducing you can call yourself a parent and there's a lot of crummy parents out there there's a lot of people that had no business raising children and I'm not suggesting that they need a license. I, I think that would be very intrusive on people. But I think we can raise the bar of expectations of what we expect of parents. And the cert- what we certainly can do is create more support for parents. I mean, think about how many times you might have been in the supermarket and some toddlers rolling around having a tantrum on the floor and parents are giving the uh, or other people there are giving the parents dirty looks or they're wondering, why are you allowing that to happen? Or you have a a child who's screaming on an airplane. 
And what that film, the point of our film is try to understand that what the parents doing. I mean, there's some parents that you know are not doing a job. You're in a restaurant, their kids are wild, they're just eating and drinking, they don't care, and their kids are ruining the meal for everybody else in the restaurant. Those parents are the ones that, that ruin it for everybody else. And so what I was trying to do is just raise the bar on parenting, make people more aware that it's the only thing that right now that the system cares about when you're leaving the hospital with your child is that your car seat is strapped in properly. Mm. Anything else? You, you want to adopt a child? They'll go through every shred of your life and know everything about you and how qualified you are to take some poor child desperate for a home. And they make you jump through a lot of hoops to show that you're capable of having that child. But if you go and make a baby, nobody asks you anything. Hey, George, are you capable of raising that child? I mean, if you had to fill out a, a, the paperwork to say whether you, they should give you that child, I bet a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't get the job. <laughs> Imagine if that was a possibility, you get, a, you know, your wife, for example, pregnant, and they said, right, before you have the baby, please finish in. It's like, okay, name, occupation. <laughs> because that is what I find with parenting, and I'll say this from my point of view, because I have a daughter, she's 15, I haven't seen her since she was five years old. She's autistic. The local authorities where I come from deemed me inappropriate to look after her. They got me doing assessments, which meant they had to tick boxes. And I'm thinking, how can you tell my parenting by just ticking boxes? You've got to know me as a person before you judge me. Yes, I've got mild learning difficulties myself, but how can you judge by just ticking boxes? Absolutely. And, and there are a lot of people that, you know, now when you see same sex uh, couples adopting children, and, and that's great. Anybody that wants that job, that can step up and do that job, there shouldn't be limitations based on whatever reason. It should just be how good you do the job. And we need more of that. And I'm not suggesting government control. I'm not a big government control person. I'm suggesting support of the community, support of your neighbors and your friends and people saying, you know, it matters how they're raising their child. You don't walk into your neighbor's house and give them parenting advice. But if you see them struggling, it's certainly okay to say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help? Yeah. Um, if you need to talk to somebody, you know, there's things you can do. In, in some states, they actually have parent training classes where you can sign up and go in and learn how to be better at your job. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not preaching from the mountain here. I'm, I, I don't think I'm a, a great parent. I think I try to do my best, but you could probably sit down there and check off boxes that show how I've done a crummy job, but I didn't have any support either. You know, you, 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 we need to help parents more because the cost of bad parenting affects everybody in society. Mm, I agree with that. It's like, like I said, I haven't seen my daughter since she was five. I do see your picture not because she's got social media, because I don't think they're allowed to have it, but I do see God's picture when I'm randomly looking where I know she is. And I think, yeah, she's okay where she is. But at the same time, why wasn't I given that chance? And it feels damaging to know that they failed me on one particular issue. And I'm thinking, because I was in a different location, you decided to mark me down. And because I chose to st stick with that, you know, a mother, and I'm not derogatory of her mother in any way because I can't be, but, you know, because I stuck with her mother, they mm -hmm. deemed me that I shouldn't be a parent. 
That's unfortunate. And, you know, every there's, I'm sure there's a lot of stories like that. And, you know, I just think everybody can raise their level of, of how they do their job in that instance. Mm. So we've spoken about past, we've spoken about present, now the future. <laughs> I see possibly more with the last house standing. There's an evolution of where we could potentially go with that. Um, I have other projects that I'm working on. You know, the, the, the battle that all filmmakers have is you have to raise the money to make any film you do. It's hard to, it's hard to do that. So you can have a great idea, but then you have to get somebody to believe in it and want to help you make it happen. And that's always the hurdle for me. I, you know, I, I've always considered myself a creative guy and, and I have a lot of ideas, but raising the money to do them is what separates a good idea from an idea that just sits on a shelf and the same, never goes same anywhere. With, it's the same with podcasting and YouTube and you've got to find the right niche for people to hook on to. And, you know, I'm using a basic setup talking to you now. I'm just talking to you on an iPad. Yes, I've got a ring light, but, but I'm, you know, and a green screen, but the green screen's just a virtual background that, you know, soon provided for me. But, there's times where I feel like, okay, I want to get a better computer. I want to get a better setup. But again, it's about getting the right niche to get the right funding and people to listen to you or watch you. And there's no guarantee that, that people will watch even if you have a good message. I mean, I've posted things on, on YouTube that I thought were really funny or really good. And, you know, five people, 10 people look at it. And then some kid who um, is goofy looking lip syncs a song and has a million hits on it. And the next day he's on good morning America being interviewed about it. You know, it, it that's the, the frustrating thing for people who are more old school with, with fame or publicity is there's no rhyme or reason to how it happens. Now, you know, the Kardashians are a, a, a conglomerate, you know, it, you know, they they do what they do well. I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking them, but what I'm saying is there's a lot of talented people that don't have that world of access and will never know about them. So you can make a film or you can post a video that you think is really good and it'll be crickets, nothing will happen. And then that random one, somebody tripping, walking down the stairs with ice cream, you know, will set the world ablaze with, yeah. with clicks. So there's just no it's rhyme like or reason. It's like my wife likes TikTok. And when I introduced her to it last year, because I was on it before, and it was musically.ly, and then it became TikTok, I just expected her just to watch it. Don't get me wrong, she did watch it and got used to watching people being funny, amusing, whatever. And then she started making videos herself, and obviously that was good you know in the beginning it was and she'd be admitting this it was slow to begin with people looking at her and then you know as soon as a thousand followers came in the more followers came following her and then she started progressing in what she was doing and you know i'm proud of what she does now you know she does videos talking about what do you think this is what do you think that is it's getting people engaged mm -hmm. and that is what i think it is about it's not about look at me look at me it's about getting the hook by being natural and i think what she's done and how she's been successful is by being herself and i assume 
for filmmaking that is the same principle you've got to be yourself when you find a film idea you've got to think i can't think like this i've got to think what would be good for the audience and and that's that's great in theory but it's like i can think i have a super film right now and i can think that this is the the best thing ever but if i can't get people to watch it you know, it's like the tree falling in the forest. If you're not there to hear it, did it make a sound? You, you feel that way a lot with your film. You're going, how do I get people to see it? Because it's not like going online and buying um, a pair of shoes or uh, a purse or a skateboard or whatever you're buying. Because that's a, I see it, I buy it, I'm done. And then I get the item. A film is more of a commitment. You have to sit there and watch it. And so it's a it's a process you know i would have thought by this time i would have had hundreds of thousands of people that would have seen the film because it's so important and there's no guarantees that's ever going to happen you hope it's going to happen um but you can't predict it and you know in, in, if you're a big studio you can put a lot of money behind it and and try to get people to see it for for us uh little guys out there trying to do this you just have to hope something clicks and that people start looking at it and seeing it and they go, hey, this is important. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to share it with other people because I think it can make a difference. And this is what this podcast, video, whatever, you know, audio is about. It's about making people aware. And- yep. And, and I appreciate you having me on for that reason. You know, it's like if, if, if everybody that watched your podcast went and watched our film, I would be thrilled. You know, it's like, but at the same time, I get to meet you. I get to hear about, you know, get, get exposed to a different audience. And that's good too. You just, you just can't guarantee success. You just want to try everything you can to try to capture it. But there's no, um, there's no formula that I'm aware of that guarantees it. Yeah. And that is what YouTube is about recently as well. Gone is the day where you do get automatic hits. It's about hitting the right algorithms. And it's good for YouTube. I mean, you have companies like YouTube and Amazon. They're huge companies and they make things easy for us to have groceries delivered to our house, products. We can watch videos all the time on YouTube. But when you go to try to monetize it, unless you're somebody that's uber famous, that gets millions of people. If I put my film on there and got paid on Amazon for streaming, they pay you nickels. They don't, they don't care. They don't have to pay you. So a filmmaker is not going to make much money unless you're famous. You know, a famous filmmaker puts his film on there. It's like with Kickstarter. You're familiar with that, a fundraiser. Um, if, if a famous director posted a Kickstarter campaign, he might raise a million dollars in a day because people go, I want to be part of that. When I go on there, it's like pulling teeth, you know, because I'm trying to find people that might believe in what I'm doing and want to throw some money at it. But I don't have the recognition so it's almost like it feeds on itself. The bigger you are, the easier it is. Yeah. Um, so YouTube and, and Amazon are almost impossible for the little guy. And I know there's people that are exceptions, you know, these influencers that have found a way to make money um, off of that. Good for them. But I've never had that luck. I've gotten a lot of people for a few uh, videos that I have on uh, YouTube that have seen them, but I haven't been able to monetize it in any way. It's just a a video that we can have a good laugh at if we go watch yeah. it. Well, it's like YouTube, but it's a lot difficult since I joined it. You got to have at least a thousand subscribers before you can even start monetizing that. Yeah, and and it's, you know what? That's you're using their platform. You play by their rules, right? 
nothing you can do. But if you're trying to make money to support a, an entity, uh, uh, in, in this case, a film, or in your case, a podcast, it's going to take more than that, because that's not going to do anything for you. And you certainly don't get to capture the people that watch. If, if 10 people go watch my film on YouTube, I don't have any access to them. That's YouTube's customer. So it's a formula that's really good for the, the top. It's top heavy. And everybody else is just scratch. We're just clawing our way, trying to get little. Yeah, and that's what I feel. We are, we are little people in the bigger pond, and yeah. So very much. Any messages you would want to say to potential people as a word of inspiration? Uh, pursue what you love, and and don't give up. You know, you're going to always run into obstacles where somebody will say you can't do that or that's a stupid idea. But if you really believe in something, to go for it and not, not be afraid to fail. You know, I learned when I was in television, I would send out tapes to try to move from one market to another and I would get hundreds of rejections for whatever reason. You know, in TV, it's very personal. If they, I send you a tape with my face on it and you reject me, I think we know why you did, you know? It, it, and and it's, it, it, that you, get, you have to develop a thick skin with ideas, with films, with, with anything else you're doing, there's people that aren't going to like it. You know, even today, if you do something, pick an actor that you like or an actress and, and, and think of how wonderful or, or crummy or whatever you think of them, there's probably a lot of people that hate them. There's people that like them. You know, some of the most beautiful people get horrible comments made about them on social media and it, it hurts them. It's very damaging. So you really have to have a thick skin but you also have to be determined to say, if I believe in something, I'm going to give it my best shot. So at least if it, if it doesn't work, I'm not going to go, well, why didn't I try? And that's always been with me. I, I've done a lot of things that haven't necessarily made it big, you know, shows that might not have gotten picked up or films that might not have gotten a huge audience. But I feel good about what I did. And then I hope the next one will capture that audience. And then maybe people will find the other one that, they, that didn't get a huge audience and they'll go back and look at it. Mm -hmm. that's great one last time what is the website so we can just confirm to show people that we are paid product placement <laughs> the the last house standing.org and it has this house featured on there on this lovely coffee mug that's available which on i will our... share the picture for the podcast cover <laughs> yes and uh it's the cover of the, of the film and then um you click on the film tab and you can rent the film right on there. And I hope people will check it out. And, 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 and the, the takeaway should be commit to doing something to make your house safer, to make your surroundings safer. Even if that means I'm going to buy a house somewhere, put the time in to know what the risks are where you're buying and understand what might happen to you if something bad happens in that area. And then if you live in an existing home someplace, have an inspection and find out what's what's wrong with your house that you might be able to fix and we have a lot of resources on our website as well so if you go to the lasthousestanding.org there's a resource tab that lists a lot of places that have great advice on how you can be safer how you can know what the risks are where you're planning on moving and you know don't wait don't wait till the storm is coming nobody nobody can think when the disaster is happening what they should do if you don't prepare you're going to get caught off guard and you won't be transported to the Wizard of Ozland. <laughs> I you don't put want, that in. I to put that in. <laughs> you want to do you want to be proactive, not reactive. 
Thank you so much for having me I on. Wish I wish you luck for the future. Thank you. Thank you.